What's up, guys? Connor O'Hanlon here for another episode of the Con O Show. And today, I'm obviously not joining you from the studio because we the show is in a transition period. We are looking at upgrading equipment. As you can see right now, I am in my basement if you're watching on YouTube because we are going to be transitioning into a different spot uh, due to my work schedule. So be prepared for some major changes and hopefully upgrades in the uh, coming weeks. I think they're going to be very impactful. This show also will be the first show in which I'm going to be attempting to break the show up into multiple different clips. So if you just started watching the show and you feel like whatever my hour long show is a little too long for your likes or you uh, would like to break it up and just watch the individual chunks, go to the channel and check out the other clips. Make sure you hit the thumbs up and do all the subscribing and stuff like that. And I know I normally don't do this, uh, the plugging and stuff like that in the beginning of the show, but I feel the need to do that uh, as this is new. And also, just to help us grow, if you could leave a review on the podcast app for the show, it would mean a lot. Uh, You know, If you think it's worth five stars, please give it a five-star rating. But the algorithms in which they promote uh, podcasts and the algorithms in which they promote videos are based on engagement. So please, if you like this show and you would like to help us grow, please engage by using uh, either commenting or or leaving a review if you're listening to the podcast version. With that being said, we're going to be talking about one of the the most tumultuous political weeks in American history, starting with the Capitol riots, and we're going to be leading up to uh, the impeachment of Donald Trump, part two, (laughs) Uh, and everything in between. So we're going to be going all over the place, and I'm going to try to keep it chronological, but... uh, There's only so much we can do about that. Um, So, to start off, actually, uh, with the Capitol riots would be jumping the gun a little bit. The real news from last week that started the whole thing off was uh, the, the Georgia elections. And the Georgia elections ended up with both Democrats winning. Uh, Warnock and, and, uh, Ossoff both won. And like I when I was recording my show last week, it was on Wednesday, and I remember saying to myself, wow, all this stuff happened, and uh, I recorded this morning, so I'm screwed. So now I'm recording on Thursday morning, uh, because, of course, I would have missed the impeachment yesterday as well. I mean, not that I would have missed it, but I would have missed the official vote. Um, so this week, <laughs> I was pushing it back as long as I could, because obviously each day, is so tumultuous and so jam-packed with random news and random events that it's it's insane. So, with the Democrats picking up the two seats uh, in Georgia, they will now control a 50-50 uh, split, including the Independents at Caucus with the Democrats, which will then give the tie-breaking vote to Kamala Harris. This is important, obviously, for a million different ways, Um, but specifically now that Mitch McConnell will not be the majority uh, leader, that is a major, major improvement because Mitch McConnell is one of the most vile humans to ever have power. And when we talk about the impeachment going forward, 
which we'll get to, I guess, later. But the, the Senate will also, we'll, we'll see what happens in the Senate with Mitch McConnell, but the, the, the Senate will also have a crack at it with the Democrats if they have to. And that's whether they take it up or not, but we'll see. Um, that's a, that's a come back to me next week question. Um, but through picking up these seats, the Democrats will be able to pass things through reconciliation and the reconciliation happens usually once a year. The basically it's like passing the budget and luckily, I guess we could say, and it's, that's debatable. I mean, it's lucky that we have the option, but it's unlucky because we didn't pass anything in 2020 because <laughs> I don't know. They didn't want to pass a relief bill and then a budget. But um, so the Democrats will have the opportunity uh, to use reconciliation in which you only need a simple majority in both the House and the Senate to pass the bill. This will only be uh, around spending uh, uh, items. So things that directly impact the budget rather than, you know, passing some protections for civil rights or whatever, or for voting rights. Uh, as important as those things are, you need to be able to pass those through a normal session of Congress, which would then be have to be filibuster proof, um, which I think we're going to be talking about the filibuster a lot moving forward. So if that is a topic you would like to see me cover, I've covered in the past, but if you'd like to see me cover it more, uh, please let me know. But this is major because the Democrats, because they didn't use it in 2020, will have technically three reconciliation bills in which they can pass whatever needs to be passed. And that's if they use the power to do so, which maybe I'm being uh, overconfident that they will. And maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm underestimating. Maybe they're going to put a lot in it. Um, but this is a way that they could technically utilize um, the spending bill to send uh, local and state aid. Uh, so if you guys don't know, the the uh, coronavirus bills that have passed, I think the, the CARES Act had some municipal and state government funding, but the vast majority of it was not for that. And the second bill that passed had no uh, state and local uh, government funding. And why is this an issue? Well, generally speaking, when a, when a, let's, let's see where to start on this. Generally speaking, when a, when a, an economy goes through a recession, there are a, a lot of people that follow the thought and the ideology of austerity. And austerity generally means uh, when you increase taxes and you cut spending. And this is in the abstract idea of trying to balance the budget. And austerity measures usually come at the cost of the middle and lower class because of the cuts that usually mean their jobs. Now, spending... And jobs, you know, utilizing just justifying spending by saying, you know, jobs is not a justification in in and of itself. Right. But 
it is important to note that when we cut spending, usually that means we're cutting jobs. So when the when the governments, the state and local governments have gone through a year of receiving little to no relief, some have gotten more. I know Bucks County has gotten some, but I don't know about the individual municipalities themselves. I don't know about Pennsylvania, how much it's received itself. But as these things go on and on and on, the tax bases go down because people are losing their jobs. People have, have been in unemployment extended now. Um, people lose their houses. People stop paying rent. The economy starts to shudder. And when this happens, the government loses its funding. So they have to start cutting. And to try to make up for the spending law, or to try to make up for the uh, loss in revenue, they will try to raise taxes on those who can pay them. Uh, now, of course, you could say, well, that's going to be affecting the rich. Uh, yes, it would. But the disproportionate effect would be uh, hurting the poor and the working classes. They will be losing their job, not just a percentage of their uh, income. It was 100% of it. And again, we talk about the marginal propensity to consume, um, which is just a measure of how much people consume of every dollar that they earn. And usually poor and middle class people spend 100% of that, which would make it a 1.0 marginal propensity to consume. Actually, sometimes it would say it would be more because they actually have to take out debt to live in America sometimes, um, to pay their debt, to pay their bills. Um all of that is to say, the spending relief bill could be passed through reconciliation if they wanted to. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they can do through reconciliation and through having a 50-vote majority in the Senate. And I guess it's really a one-vote majority, but regardless, you understand what I'm saying. So, obviously, with Warnock and Ossoff winning... We've made some major gains, and we can't really stop there, but it's crazy to think, and I'm just going to put this in perspective for you, if you're watching this, the Georgia elections happened last week. The Georgia election happened last week. It's crazy how time is both simultaneously super fast and dragging on forever <laughs> during this coronavirus and during the Donald Trump administration. But uh, yeah, so that is a major gain, especially for Democrats and especially for the country. But we will now move into what happened right after we found out about Georgia. So right after we found out about Georgia, I'm sitting there, <laughs> I'm sitting in, I, I'll just tell this story, I guess. I was uh, sitting at work and I had to go into a meeting. And then I come out of the meeting and I see on my phone that, well, I was actually watching the the vote uh, to certify the election while I was listening to it and uh, while I was working. And like I normally do with, <laughs> with news, I just listen to it in the background, but... Uh, I was watching it or listening to it and, and I, you know, hear blah, blah, blah. And we're, uh, is there a Senator to back up the 
voiding or the 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 uh, objection to the Arizona results, the certification in which you know to certify the election of Joe Biden, and of course you know you see Ted Cruz stand up and all the the House Republicans are like yeah yeah, but um. I was like, okay, well, now they're going to go deliberate for two hours. And I'm not going to really care about what people are saying during this time. Um, not, they're not, but by that, what I mean too is if they were showing the actual people in the chamber, I would actually probably like to listen, but they're just going to show pundits talking about it. So, um, mainstream media pundits, they either piss, they really piss me off. So, um, I just didn't want to hear it. So, shut it off. And then I went into a meeting. When I came out of the meeting, I saw on my phone, the Capitol building is being stormed by, you know, whatever they called them at the time, you know, a Trump's Trump rally. And, uh, I was like, what the hell is going on? So I, I whipped back on YouTube and lo and behold, a massive group of Trump supporters of Republicans had stormed the Capitol. And there's a million different things here that we have to talk about. And I'm going to try to be as concise as I can because, well, one, I have to go to work. And two, um, (laughs) we could talk about this for days on end. And I remember when I came home on Wednesday and some people didn't think, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and some people think it's really important, which I think it is. And some people thought it they didn't understand why it was important at all. And I, my cynicism of the education system that we have set up right now was really on full it was on full like a hundred going a hundred percent on uh cynicism because i was just disappointed in how few people really could contextualize what happened and if you couldn't it's not it's not the end of the world it's not on you it's not your fault necessarily that we haven't been taught a lot of this stuff but i remember uh, bringing up the war of 1812 and this is actually really before anyone was talking about it like that, um, on the news or anything, but I said, I didn't, I wasn't sure about it at the time, but I am sure of it now, but there is never, there hasn't been a, a storming of the Capitol building or like an occupation like that in that in that in that hostile fashion since the war of 1812 when the british came over and took over the capitol building took over the white house and they ended up burning it down and i think i discussed this a little bit with my alexander hamilton uh radical hamilton discussion but it's just disheartening to not know that it's been since then that we've had anything like that. I mean, it's actually a good thing that we haven't had anything like that since then, but to put in context how radical and how out there and outlandish what had, what had happened was. Because 
this is not just a matter of, you know, they're just pissed off. We're going to we're going to rally outside. You can by all means, they can rally outside. But when you go in, smash the windows into the Capitol building again, we're, we're going to start diverging here, but into tangents. But when you break into one of the most sacred buildings of this country and you know, I, I hear leftists talking about like, you know, don't glamorize this or that or whatever and romanticize the American democracy. There is a certain level of patriotism that we all have, and I'm I have it too. And I respect the history and respect the institution that is you know, the Capitol building, that is the White House, that is the Washington Monument, these monuments that are raised for these, you know, arguably, you know, heroes of our country. And whether you agree or not, that's fine. But I really do think that that we should have these symbols that are basically sacred to us as Americans. That doesn't mean that you can't, you know, go and protest them. You can't do this. You can't do that. But there's a certain level of respect we should have for our symbols, I think. That doesn't mean worship them. That doesn't mean they're infallible. That doesn't mean times change. But we're talking about the Capitol building. We're not talking about, you know, a monument for Robert E. Lee, right? So just, again, perspective. And when they stormed the Capitol, they were trying to get Mike Pence. And there are reports that they had erected a gallows outside. And they had zip ties. And they tried to get into the House of Representatives. And they tried to get into the Senate. So you can make your conclusions there. But they were obviously not just going in there to say hello. Five people died, uh, including including police officers. One that was murdered by being beaten with a fire extinguisher. There's video of a police officer being jammed and crushed in between a door because he's stuck in between the rioters and the, I think it was the house chamber, but could be wrong. One of the chambers in which they're protecting. And a woman was shot. People died falling off the, the scale while they were trying to scale the wall. And it's just infuriating. And that's why I'm trying to take my time while I'm talking through this. Because when I had a protest here in Doylestown, when I organized a protest, we had, we had cops all over the place. And I coordinated with the police because that's what you're supposed to do. 
because I have I have respect for those people, even though I disagree with sometimes with the actions that some of them take, I recognize that we need police in this country. I recognize that we need um, someone to enforce the laws of this country. And I advocate for reformation of systems, sometimes the changing completely of systems, but for the policing system, I want to make their job easier, right? So we're going to send in social workers here and there, and we're going to do this and that. But I worked with the police officers, but at night, when I, because I remember it was, I had my protest the night before the primary election here. At night, I drove by my high school, where I went to high school, and there were armored tanks there. Ready to go. Now, that was based off of a tweet, a fake tweet from Antifa USA. But then contrast that with the Washington preparation, the DC preparation. Compare that with the DC preparation when they had a Black Lives Matter protest and when they gassed out people in the square by in front of that church for Trump and when these people come. Now there's more information that has come out since then that has basically seem seemed to prove that people were complacent and that Donald Trump had basically withheld the National Guard from going to protect the Capitol. So, leading a pissed off rally of people, telling them to go to the Capitol, not deploying enough police officers, having police officers that were fought with the night before with Proud Boys. Proud Boys were our fascists, and they were, they were intel fascists, basically, and they were trying to fight with the police the night before, too. So... My point here is that when people said the, the blue lives matter in response to black lives matter, because look, I know that the average person probably doesn't think about it as like blue lives matter. And, uh, that means black lives don't, they don't, maybe they probably don't understand it. Okay. Give them the benefit of the doubt. But some people, when they're saying it in response to black lives matter, they were doing it for a different reason. They were doing it to diminish the phrase to diminish the movement because they don't think that black lives matter. But I don't want to hear the same crowd talk about blue lives matter anymore because when their officers were killed by their people, they said nothing. And I've seen it in response. I've seen it in the past couple of days. You know, I've seen the dedications to them. That's not enough. You, if, I, I don't even like making the comparison. You know, if, um, if, uh, a group of Black Lives Matter people did it, they would be, it would be all over. It'd be all over Facebook, everywhere. It would be the exact way that this person was killed. You know, it would be in gruesome detail. But because... It was these mostly white Trump supporters. It didn't matter. Or it only mattered 
after the fact when they could when they got called out for and they said they had to say well well yeah that's bad let me post this picture of him it was intentional it was a sabotage of the police it was a sabotage of the national guard it was a sabotage of the protections of the people that we have elected to represent us and again, I emphasize they were bringing in zip ties to take hostages. The response has been so weak in a lot of ways. And again, I'm trying to be generous here. The response has been so weak because in the in the wake of this, people have said, you know, we have to come together in unity and blah, blah, blah. And no, no, we don't. There's never been a fully unified country. Never. We've always had factions that argue with each other. And that's the way the country has been set up. And that's the way the country should be. What those sides are, what those arguments are about, those are the parameters we need to work on changing. You see, because it's not so simple. We can't just have Joe Biden say, yeah, we need to come together. And, you know, that's it. We will sing Kumbaya. Unity comes at the expense of something. And... When we talk about unity in the sake of holding just the country together, where were you saying that for the last four years? Where have you been asking Donald Trump to unify this country? It's only incumbent upon the Democrats when they take power to unify and not be partisan. Screw that. We won, you lost. We need to utilize the power that is granted by the U.S. Senate, the U.S. House of Representatives, and the presidency to pass legislation to actually help the American people. We need to stop kowtowing to this, um, this mythical centrist that, is, that wants unification, that wants compromise. Because like I said last week, and it was, it was so telling how these things dovetail together. I recorded last week before this happened. But go back and listen to what I said. And you can see what I said was true. When they ask for unity, it's only because they lost. When the Republicans win, they don't ask for unity. When they lose... They ask us to bend to every one of their wills, and some Democrats do it. There, we cannot afford for that to happen again. The response to not hold people to account is so detrimental. Again, if they could... They would 
identify every single person at a Black Lives Matter rally. They would probably, I mean, I'm not talking about everybody, but I'm saying some people would rather just do that and to just identify them all, arrest them all. I'm not asking for that. I'm asking for those who in, insurrected a riot to be held to account. Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, the other senators, the other House members, they should all be held to account for trying to decertify an election. Fox News should be held to account for trying to encourage these people because based on false information about voter fraud that is non-existent, OANN or whatever they want to call it, all these media outlets, they should be held to account for inciting violence and inciting a riot in which they have no proof of voter fraud and they never have. And next, we're going to go and we're going to discuss the ultimate being held to account the ultimate person responsible Donald Trump but with that we're going to take a quick break uh, if you guys like the show follow the show on facebook.com slash the show you can follow me on twitter at Kano Hanlon uh, subscribe to the youtube channel down below hit the bell button for the notifications for these videos and please share with a friend and I would really appreciate it if we can help grow the channel and like I said we're going to start making some upgrades and you guys will be seeing them very, very soon. So thank you very much. And I'll be right back. Welcome back to the con O show. Next, we're going to be talking about Donald Trump in in the follow-up of the Capitol riots. So first, we're going to start off with the Twitter aspect. So as we all probably know, on Friday, following the riots that were ensuing on Wednesday, Twitter and some other tech giants, as they are called, decided to hold Trump to account, finally, after years of utilizing their platforms to gain notoriety, years to gain these followers that he has been able to wield as a weapon. And we'll, we'll get into my critique of that in a second, but um, Donald Trump was banned from Twitter. And, you know, a lot of people celebrate this, a lot of people denounce it. A lot of people have opinions on this one. And this is where I probably have a nuanced perspective, I think, but one that takes a more systematic approach. Okay. So bear with me as we go through this, but Donald Trump was banned from Twitter. And here's also another huge part that we will dive into uh, sequentially, I guess. Then Parler, which is a right-wing site. I mean, there's not really much else to describe it as, but it's kind of like social media for or like Twitter for right-wingers. And that was actually the servers were disconnected because Amazon was no longer interested in hosting them. When we will start with the Trump aspect. Okay. So 
when the president is banned from Twitter, do we have a you know constitutional crisis? No. Twitter is a private company, whether we like it or not. I mean, it's you know publicly traded, but it's a private company. In America, that is how our laws are set up. If you are a private company, you have certain restrictions that you can put on your customers and put on your users. You have terms of service and most, I mean, almost all websites and almost all, you know, platforms have a terms of service, whether that be Twitch, YouTube, uh, other Google services, etc. you know, Amazon. And when you break the terms of service, you are going to get banned. Now, does that mean that if you're a person with my following that you're going to get banned? It's less likely. I don't have enough followers that I'm that influential. If you have a million followers, are you likely to get banned? Yes, because people are going to take notice of what you do and what you say. When you have a platform, your level of responsibility grows, in theory at least. And I'll make the argument that obviously that Twitter hasn't held them to account, that the moderation of these websites has been hit or miss in the past. But in theory, they're supposed to be holding these people to account based on their terms of service. And Trump has broken them numerous times. He has... Oh my God, he has done so much on Twitter. It's it's hard to even. He is the Twitter president, right? So when he's finally held to account, the outrage is monumental. And not only did Trump get purged from Twitter, a lot of people got purged from Twitter. And I hesitate to use you know any loaded language. Because I don't know exactly everybody who is banned from Twitter. But it's safe to say that they've broken their terms of service based on hate speech or for some other type of speech that had gotten them banned. And you can, you know, draw your own conclusions there. Uh, but, you know, you saw certain people complaining about losing like 50,000 followers. And I'm like... Well, yeah, I mean, look at your audience. I mean, if it was like David Duke, like, of course you lost your audience, dude. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, and I'm not saying that all people that, uh, you know, follow somebody are inherently bad. Um, but at the same time, when you're losing those followers, I mean, they had to have done something that would have justified them being removed based on the terms of service. And I know that's like, you know, they had to have done something, right? It's kind of like a justification for how people treat, you know, when someone gets shot or when someone does this or that. But I mean, these things are run by algorithms. So like, it's not as uh, judgmental as you would or subjective as we would think, right? So I mean, Trump's was subjective. I mean, Trump was was given a lot of leeway. Uh, anyone of lesser stature, anyone of a less popular, uh, or sorry, of a less less influential uh, position, would have been banned a long, long time ago. Whether they were a governor or senator, 
for a lot of stuff he done he had done they would have been gone by now um but we see the outrage i mean we see it on twitter we see it everywhere we see it in the people outside i mean the outrage over these you know now i'll broadly call it cancel culture especially when it comes to trump is so funny to me because when i provide the solution and i'll provide my solution in a second nobody actually takes me up on it and says you know what you're right we do need to do something about it because hear me out we do have a problem with these multi you know i i, I keep i keep wanting to call these corporations multinational i mean they're american companies they're american uh social media platforms but they function as multinational corporations. I mean, they basically are. Um, these tech giants that everyone complains about when their favorite, you know, comedian gets banned, or when your favorite Twitch streamer gets banned, and or whenever there's some restrictive, what do right wingers like to complain when they try to be inclusive of trans people or non-binary people? You know, the big, the really big issues of the day, right? And if you can't see me, I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> um, when we have such an online culture, it is important that we have access to people, right? So the solution, and I had a conversation with with a friend about this, the solution that many of these people have is, well, um, we should just keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. Obviously, that's not worked for us so far, but for some reason, they think that it will moving forward. But in these conversations, I try to explain to them my perspective. And if you guys have not listened to my episode about Amazon, go do that after this episode or after this clip. Because I support breaking them up. If you want to have a more democratized internet, if you want to have a more democratized world, you break up those tech giants and you break up big business the way that they did in the early night uh 1900s the way that they they could have in the in the wake of the great recession they could have broken up the big banks but instead they did not we could hold these giants to account and break them up and then democratize where we want to go now that might be there might be a left-wing twitter for real there might be a right-wing twitter there might be and they're not going to be called these things but when you break them up and people get siloed into different areas that might be what happens you might have uh you know the the white supremacist version of facebook or whatever you want to call it right and the the trick is that not one of these platforms have so much undue influence. And I had this conversation with a friend where I said, 
well, where, what's your solution? And they don't have one. They just like, people like to complain when their favorite person gets banned from this or that. And there's no solution to the problem. Now, I, again, you can go back and listen to my episode on cancel culture um, to get a more in-depth look just on that perspective. But other people have also brought up nationalizing some of these platforms. Now, it's an idea. Uh, it's an idea that I don't support, but it is an idea. It is a solution. Now, why don't I support this? Okay. So there's the, here's the thing and this this can also apply to my solution but at what point does a does a platform become so large that you have to nationalize it and then utilize taxpayer dollars to basically run these organizations cuz I would argue what I'm arguing in the in my solution is the most pro capitalist uh form of a solution and again, I'm not afraid of being pro-capitalism or pro-socialism or pro-this or pro-that. It's framing, okay? When we actually look at the solutions, the competition in theory of, of capitalism is what is supposed to drive down prices, is what is supposed to democratize things. We can make that happen. We have to make that choice. When we nationalize it, it's still Facebook. It's still Twitter. These multi, huge, I mean, these ginormous corporations. And when we nationalize them, it's just going to be run by the government. So the only difference is the First Amendment applies. And when the First Amendment applies, freedom of speech, to say whatever you want, whether it be hate speech, whether it be racism, whether it be xenophobia, whether it be transphobia, whether it be homophobia, etc. You can, you're free to say it then. Which, if you want that, which again, this is why it's, it's it, you know, it sounds like a libertarian argument. If you want that, go make your own platform, buddy. Because on my Twitter, I don't want homophobia. I don't want transphobia. I don't want racism. And if we had broken up Twitter, I'll go on that one. I'll go on the one that doesn't have all of that. But in a world where the First Amendment applies, that's the way it goes. Now, also, let's not forget that then the government is the one that's running the moderation, that is run, that is collecting our data, that is, I mean, it's just funny to me how the the it's always I've only heard a few people on the left ever actually say nationalize it um and they're they're farther way further left than me um but people on the right are always the ones that bring this idea up if if there's any solution from them at all which there's usually not but when they bring up a solution and it's like it's antithetical to who you are. It's antithetical to what you're saying. And we can piggyback this into the parlor argument, right? So Amazon is a web hoster, which I know that doesn't sound like that's what they do, but Amazon makes 
I would argue probably, I, I haven't looked at their, uh, you know, income statement, but I would argue that of like a major, major portion of their money that they make every year comes from web hosting and comes from the back end, whether it become, whether that's collecting your data and selling advertisements or whatever they, when they sell individual products, they don't actually make that much money. A lot of what they do is on the back end. So that's why they can undercut all these small businesses, or they can even host small businesses on there. And they just want to become the market. Again, they're trying to monopolize the market. So that's why we have to break them up. If, if you have a monopoly in any sort of industry, you have to break them up. It is a pro-capitalist. It is a pro-worker. Uh, it is a pro-consumer position. Because, yeah, sure, in the meantime, Amazon's going to give you the, the low prices. Sure. In 20, years, in 20 years from now, are they going to when they're the only player in the game? I'm not so sure about that. And we've seen it in our history. We've seen the monopolizing factors. We've seen where it leads. We just haven't dealt with it in the tech industry. We have not dealt with it yet in the tech industry. And now Facebook, you can get Candace Owens who gets banned, you know, or she didn't even get banned. She got her Facebook uh, page demonetized, but she gets, you know, she posts a video on Facebook about being censored and then she gets, you know, 3 million like 3 million views in an hour. Yeah. You're really censored. You're really, you're, you're really oppressed when you have this large, uh, outreach on the centralized market of social media. And you know, like it's cool when you get to see all these people on social media, you get to meet people on social media. I've done it with Instagram. I've done it with Twitter, but it's not, it's not that big of a deal. The internet existed before these platforms. The internet was probably, I would argue a better place when it was a little bit more decentralized. And there are arguments why it's so important to decentralize and democratize things. And this is, I mean, this is a major tenant of social democracy, basically, in and workplace democratization. We're not trying to rip the power away from all the structures. We're just trying to give power and distribute it to those who historically have not had any power to influence decisions. You know, you as an individual can make the decision to not go on Twitter and Facebook, but you are literally sacrificing uh, connectivity with a major, major contingent of this country and of the world. And, you know, just to share my this show, I'm basically on Twitter and on Instagram and on. So. And it's just it, you have to basically do it and it sucks. But Parler was the alternative for Republic or for, you know, right wingers that were, you know, not happy with Twitter. And they went on there and it was banned because Amazon didn't want to host them anymore because that's where they incited the riot. <laughs> and they were advocating violence and all this other stuff because they said, we're not going to enforce, you know, anything about 
free speech like you know free speech basically is 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 enforced here so amazon decided not to host them anymore and look they're down for right now and until they find a new host that's what's going to be so if you don't like the influence that these people have these corporations have over your content over your platform then you have to be able to fight against them so how you do that, I would say you break them up. Uh, if you don't like that option, then I would love to hear what you would have to say. Leave it down in the comments down below. Now we're going to move on to what happened yesterday. And that was the impeachment, the second impeachment of Donald Trump. And I, I think it's very enlightening um, enlightening, I should say, to think that after yesterday, I still had to explain to people that impeachment doesn't mean removal of from office as Trump had already been impeached once. So let's quickly just go over this again. Impeachment is not removal. The system that we have has impeachment, which is done by the House of Representatives, and then conviction or a trial, and then if they're found guilty, conviction in the Senate. Uh, I believe there's only been one president that has been impeached and convicted, I think. I think it was Andrew Johnson, but I could be wrong. Um, because Nixon had resigned, uh, Bill Clinton had been acquitted, and Trump had been acquitted in the Senate. Uh, so there's not many other, I don't think there's, I don't think I'm missing any of the other ones, but... Um, Regardless, the impeachment process is based on the House, in which Trump had been impeached, obviously, in 2019, and then, uh, or I guess in 2020, I don't even know at this point, but um, after that, he was, the vote was brought up to the Senate, and they were like, nope, because, you know, I'm Mitch McConnell, and <laughs> he was not found guilty there. This time... We'll see what that what what happens there, and we're going to be holding. You know, I'm not going to hold my breath for Mitch McConnell to grow a spine, but the the Senate trial will happen, and they will decide whether there's a conviction. So, and whether they would remove him from office. And this is basically the analogy I I used to a friend is. When you're impeached, it's like getting arrested. And when you have the Senate um, trial, that would be like you're going to jail, basically. Like if you were found guilty, you would go to jail. If you were not, you'd be released. But I mean, that's an oversimplification, obviously. But it's just the easier way to think about it is because like you can you can be impeached and not be removed. You can be um impeached and be removed you can be impeached basically and i don't know how long they can delay a senate hearing but they can delay a senate hearing for a long time if they wanted to um i mean there's so many different par parliamentary tricks that they can pull and let's talk about why first and the incitement of the the riot 
was the main justification for this second impeachment. Now, of course, the articles of impeachment also included other things uh, in there that would be like, you know, utilizing Twitter and stuff like that to to you build rhetoric that would make people afraid of this and that and alleging voter fraud when there was no evidence of it, which again, there has been one Trump victory versus almost 70 Trump losses in all of the lawsuits that have been filed about the voter fraud. The Trump uh, sycophants in the Senate and the House tried to uh, object to uh, to Joe Biden's um, certification. And they are gaslighting people. They are lying to people. They have lied to you. They have lied to you. There is no, let me get this again. There is no, let me get it a third time. There is no voter fraud, not on the widespread scale that they're talking about and alleging. Again, in, in, in Pennsylvania, we just got, we just caught another voter fraud uh, case. One person who was trying to vote for their parent, I believe, and they were trying to vote again for Trump. I'm sorry, but at this point, we have to move beyond this, this delusional ideas. And this goes back to with the Capitol riots, right? Like, we have to start calling things as they are. I mean, I'm so tired of living in two different realities. Because guess what? One of them is not real. When you start talking about Q and you start talking about all these crazy conspiracy theories that have no justification in in, in, uh, in reality. Look, Donald Trump won in 2016 because enough people were fed up with the system that they wanted to just vote for somebody else. There are some people that love him and they will always love him. And they're the ones that are, you know, lost at this point. We can try to win them over by providing a platform that will bring them over to support Democratic candidates. But I'm sorry, a lot of them do not care about the policy. A lot of them care about the social, you know, glory of being in in power and being the power structure of this country i mean being old white boomers basically and i'm sorry if that's if that fits your description because it's not everyone obviously it's not everyone but there is an identity to the republican party which they try to say that the identity politics party is the democrats but it's not i'm sorry it's not <laughs> We can go in a million different directions here, but I just want to talk briefly why it's justified again, just because we had congressmen cowering under their desks, rightfully so. They had to do what we had to do in when I was in college and when I was in high school. You know, we had to do the lock-in drills and kids today have to do lock-in drills when there's shooters. They, we, we had guns. We had we had live ammo being let uh, being used inside the Capitol building. We had live ammo being used in the Capitol building. We had tear gas outside. We had, I mean, 
this is like a Call of Duty mission. The justification for removing him from office is is there. No doubt. My congressman voted no on impeachment. Again, Brian Fitzpatrick, no spine. I'm tired of people getting, you know, praised as these moderates and these centrists and these people that want to unify and you don't stand up for the the most easy vote of your career. There's so many people that that wrap themselves in this unity and this moderation and this, oh, look at me, we're, we're working together. No, F that. You are a coward. You didn't stand up the first time. You didn't stand up the second time. You got a second chance and you still blew it. There's still many people that blew it. Um, but the justification for removal has been there. And just doing it one last time sets the precedent because people ask me, why, why is it important to do this? You know, he's not going to be removed. He's about to leave office. It sets the precedent because if you don't set a precedent, which is what our system is based on, then the next person that wants to do it. And again, this could be a Democrat for if you want to, if you want to scare your Republican friends into caring, this could be a Democrat that did it. It wouldn't be, but it could be. You know, if you're afraid of, you know, this crazy conspiracy theory, hey, guess what? It could have been, it could have been, um, you know, Hillary Clinton that was running this cabal of whatever. It's not real, but it could have been. And then maybe they'll care. But because it's Trump, the cult of personality reigns supreme and people fall in line. And that's where we're going to leave today uh, as I'm at a loss of kind words. I'm at a loss of coherent words because I'm just going to work myself up and just know that when these people come as moderates, they're lying to you. When these people allege fraud, they're lying to you. They care about their corporate donors. They don't care about the working class people. Uh, They care about themselves. And their and their donors. So keep that in mind. Donald Trump, the first president in history to be impeached twice, and we'll see next week what happens with him uh, in the Senate, if anything at all. And we'll, I'm sure we'll be diving into that. So if you guys have any uh, comments about the impeachment, please leave them down below. Like the video, subscribe to the channel, and be sure to. Uh, follow us on social media, facebook.com slash econ o show, uh, Twitter at con O'Hanlon. Give us a review on the Apple podcast. That would be really, really nice. And on Spotify and all these, you know, platforms. So thank you guys again for listening. I appreciate it. And I will see you next week. Peace.